Hey friends, welcome to the Her God Story podcast, where you will always hear a good story to encourage and inspire you in your walk with the Lord. I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America and International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. You probably know by now that I always ask my guests what woman of the Bible has inspired, encouraged, or taught her something. But what about you? I'd love to hear what woman of the Bible has helped you in your walk with the Lord. Email me at hergodstory at somebodycares.org and tell me why. I just might read it in a future episode to encourage others who are listening. Remember, email me at hergodstory at somebodycares.org. Proverbs 4.23 tells us, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. If we look at the fuller definition of the Hebrew word that's translated heart, we find that it refers to our feelings, our will, our intellect, really our whole being. Because those are parts of us that affect our present and our future. It's critical that we guard them. Our enemy, the devil, uses so many things to attack us, to make us ineffective and unproductive, to leave us defeated before we've even begun. And that is why God tells us to guard ourselves. So when those attacks come, we're shielded by his word, his love, and his power. Sometimes, though, we can get wounded and we need help in the healing process. My guest, Becky Van Valen, is one who helps. She's an experienced therapist who has worked with individuals and families for over 25 years. In addition to counseling, Becky is a frequent conference speaker, guest on the Heart to Heart radio program, writes and speaks on topics like marriage, parenting, women's issues, and family issues. She has also participated in crisis response teams after disasters. Next to her relationship with the Lord, Becky's husband, three adult children, and now grandchildren, however, take priority in her life. Welcome, Becky. Thank you so much, Jody. What a pleasure to be here with you today and reconnect with you. Yes, yes. We have been in each other's lives on and off for many yes. years. <laughs> so, Becky, your father was a pastor uh, and church, Bible reading, prayer. They were all a part of your life, really, from birth. But we know that every one of us has to make that personal and conscious commitment to follow Christ. When did that happen for you? And what circumstances brought you to that point? Well, as you said, I was in church all my life, very much like Timothy in the Bible. Just, you know, from the time I was uh, a baby, I was in church. Dad was preaching as I was being born, in fact. And But at age 14, um, I was at a church camp, and uh, that was a tradition in the um denomination I grew up in. And uh, I'd always been very, very keenly sensitive and interested in spiritual things. But I'd really been thinking a lot about, am I committed to God because my mom and dad are, and that's what they've taught me? Or because this is what I choose? And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, the focus of our camp um, minister, the youth pastor, was about making your faith your own. And so I was, you know, always identified as a PK, a preacher's kid, kind of a good girl. Um, But I really, really wanted to be known as a Christ follower. 
And so I, I made that commitment to it. This was my choice. This was my choosing. And I became even more serious about God's will in my life, about, um, you know, leading other people into faith, uh, even even as a teenager, that was really important to me. And my dad and I would often have talks after I came in from um, activities. He was a night owl. I was a night owl. And at some point in, in the conversation, uh, not every time, but frequently, he said, Becky, the three most important decisions you will make in life are about what are you going to do with your relationship with God? Who will you ultimately link your life to? Who, who will you marry? And determining what is your calling. And I realized as I got older, every other decision that I would make would flow around those three decisions. And I would revisit that frequently uh, in, in my life in the future. Yeah. So there are a lot of external expectations put on pastor's kids. I mean, you were considered the good girl and I'm sure there are a lot of uh, expectations that may or may not have fit you. Did you feel that growing up? And if so, how did you think that affected your life later? Oh, yeah, it, it did. I, I loved the church family. I felt like I had lots of aunts and uncles and, and you know, people that I was very close to and, and people that were interested in me and pouring into me. So there were some wonderful things about it. But I did live in a fishbowl. And I felt like I was always being watched. And I don't ever remember my parents saying, you have to be perfect. But just with my personality, I felt like I did. And, you know, things happened. If I, if my parents said I could get my ears pierced, 10 other girls got their ears pierced. It was like, mm. you know, it was the standard uh, for what I was doing. And so, you know, some of the things that I began to realize in my 20s was I can minister to you but I can't let you know me or, and you can't minister to me. And I became really expert at getting to know and focusing on other people, but don't let other people see the real you, uh, what you need, uh, what you're struggling with. And, and so perfectionism had really developed uh, in my heart and mind. And that became the standard for me to live by. And you know, I was very much wanting to be liked by everyone. I remembered when I got married and I, you know, I was just worried in my first job, like everyone, what if everyone doesn't like me? And Paul was just like, everyone's not going to like you. I mean, what, what scenario would that ever be? And I was, I was confronting, beginning to confront some of those very unrealistic expectations of myself, making mistakes, um, you know, I just felt like that was something that that and many, many people that I work with feel like, oh, that's just taboo to to make a mistake. Um, and and so, you know, I've had to really learn about all of those things. Mistakes are our best teachers and and what I can learn from those things. But but what happened was I really did not know myself and and didn't focus on myself. I didn't know what I felt. I know what you felt and I knew what was going on with you, but I did not know myself. And so I had had kind of a big journey in my 20s and 30s figuring all that out. Yeah, so you know, many many people, women, men, 
deal with that drive to be perfect mm-hmm. and, um, you know, put on a facade to make everybody think they are who that person needs them to be. Um, how did that manifest in you and how did you ultimately get victory over it? Because that's a big battle for so many people. Uh, honestly, almost every female I counsel, it is a battle for. And, and so you are right. It is, it is a huge battle and not just for women, for, for men and women. And, and for me, I really, I became more aware of it when I was a young mom, I had three, three little guys and I did not want to mess them up. I wanted to be the perfect mom for them. It, impossible, but that was my thinking. And, and so I, I became drained and tired. Uh, and I thought, what is going on? And I had very high standards. Perfectionism in, from a psychological perspective is um, having unrealistically high expectations of yourself and then criticizing yourself for not meeting them. And so you are in this constant state of not meeting the expectations that you have in your head. So if I planned five fun things to do with the kids, went to the park, baked cookies, played a game, did a project, but didn't read zoo books, which I'd planned to do, what do you think I thought of at the end of the day? Not the four things I had done, but the one thing I didn't do. And, and the verbiage was, well, you're not a very good mom. You're not very organized. You're not loving your, your neighbor, Joan. A lot of comparison. She's a great mom. She would have gotten all those things done. And these are very common thoughts of comparing yourself, not focusing on what you have done, but focusing on what you have not done. And that's part of perfectionism. You, you magnify those things that are wrong and, and, I would not give myself any credit for the things that I had done. And that's, that's a very common pattern. And I, you know, I didn't realize it. Um, and, and when we were starting our company, but Paul and I had both turned 40 and I had gone to Ohio um, a few months before we were going to start Eden counseling in, in September of 95 and on the way home, one of my fears was the car breaking down on my eight and a half hour trip with my three sons by myself, well, you know, when I made that trip back from Ohio and the car did break down and I had a panic attack. That was the first one I had had. It wasn't just about that trip. It was about all that we were embarking on with, with Eden. And um, I... I realized as I began to, well, let me tell you about the panic attack. I was uh, stopped someplace that was fixing. It was 100 degrees outside. It was really um, miserable. And I called Paul and said, Paul, he's five hours away. You know, can, can you help me? What can, what can we do? And he said he did what he could. And I hung up the phone. I thought, I've got to call him again. I just don't feel settled. And I felt like God said, don't call Paul. He can't help you right now. And he can't help you as you start eating. You are utterly dependent on me. And it was very holy ground I realized that I was standing on. I thought, I do depend on you. He said, not in the way that you're going to need to. And and so it was it was a journey of, of really deepening my dependence on God 
which was very important. And I think God, I think he's, you know, magnificent in that he deals with a number of things often when there's one thing going on. And um, he had to begin to deal with my unrealistic expectations, my focusing on what was wrong rather than what was good or what was right. The Philippians 4 uh, passage is so beautiful. And so I began a journey uh, even more deeply of dealing with the perfectionism and also uh, a new dependence on God during that time. How did you get into counseling? I mean, you you know, you have three, three children, you're married. Um, was that something that you had always wanted to do? Like your father had said, choose, choose the call of God or, you know, find the call of God for your life. Uh, what, what was the path that you took to get there? I got a teaching degree. I went to a small Christian college where I met Paul, got a teaching degree. My mom was a teacher, did some substitute teaching, realized I do not like this. And, uh, so, you know, my dad was very pastoral and did a lot of counseling. And so I began to kind of look around to see what are some of the other gifts that I have? What are some other people uh, doing that, that I could look into? And Paul was in counseling, uh, in psychology, and so really, really enjoyed uh, reading some of the things he was reading, hearing what he was doing, and realizing I had also that that kind of pastoral heart. And so counseling was what I, I looked into several different options and, and wound up uh, going to graduate school and, and choosing counseling. And it was absolutely the right the right thing for me. I, I, I feel uh, that very purposeful in what I do each day, and I love that just as a little aside, I think it's so um, important that people, especially young people, realize they don't have to stick with an early career path. I've changed careers four times to get where I am. Now, everything built on what I learned in the prior career or, you know, career paths, not that I didn't have a full career in any of them, but till I finally got where I knew this is my sweet spot. This is where God has me. Um, so you have a degree in clinical social work and Paul's degree is in clinical psychology. People probably look at your marriage and think everything was smooth as silk, but you've shared with me that it wasn't always so, isn't always so even, but, um, share some of the challenges you faced in your marriage and how did you work through them? We talked before previously that people, we do marriage workshops and people always ask at some point, whether they raise their hand and ask it or privately ask me, I'll bet you don't have any issues in your marriage. You are both therapists. You know what to do, what not to do. You're Christians. And, um, you know, for a long time, I thought, I don't know what to say. Are they looking for a good example? Um and I, I just wasn't sure how to respond to that. And in praying for a workshop that we were doing um, a few years ago, I was I just said, Lord, what do I say to this? And I felt God saying, tell them the truth. Yeah, you don't have a perfect marriage. It doesn't go smooth as silk, as you said. We have to work just as hard as anyone else does to communicate well, to manage conflicts well. And um, so I shared that at the workshop because someone did ask. And there was just a collective sigh in, uh, you know, across the the room because I think people know at some level that 
we can relate to them. We understand. We we're in the same boat uh, in terms of of sure everybody has struggles and you have to work through them. Um, so that's you know that's one one thing with being being therapists and and Christians and and our marriage not is not perfect. But Paul and I also have very different personalities. Uh, you know Paul um, and and me and if. You know, you read about in like the Myers-Briggs, the combination of our two personalities, you would read that we have the potential for much conflict because we are so different. Um, He's an entrepreneur. He's an idea person. He likes adventure. He likes change. He likes new things. He's not detail oriented. I do like adventure, but it has to be built on a pretty solid bedrock of a lot of order a lot of safety, a lot of security. And um, Paul's new ideas would often overwhelm me. It was too too much, too many. Um, and I would be trying to create a realistic plan in my head for how to make these things happen and detail it out, only to learn that he was on to another idea. And so frustrating. And so we really, um, you know, he would say, you're throwing cold waters on my great ideas, my new ideas. And I would be frustrated that they just didn't seem realistic. And I, a lot of couples have these issues. They have different personalities. And, and so, um, you know, if I had had a new idea, I would have carefully thought it out how much time, how much money, how much manpower before I ever said anything about it and how we would achieve it. So we were just very, very different but we did do a lot of, you know, looking at our personalities. Um, I went to a lot of marriage workshops, uh, you know, just to, to learn about how do you communicate? How do you get along? Went to trainings. And we have really learned that God has allowed our differences to enhance, to complement. Well, I think we are better together, better uh, in, in Christ and and what we are able to offer to other people. Someone recently said to us, Paul, you can only do all you are doing because you have Becky in your life. And Becky, you have so much more adventure and newness in your life because of Paul. And that is so, so true. So, um, and we also had mentors. We, you know, we had older couples who were ahead of us. And, and so, you know, I think that's a very important thing if people can find, um, mentors. And for, for Paul and I, we have done a lot of marriage workshops and authenticity is really important to us. And, and so always when we're preparing for a workshop, uh, we ask ourselves and we ask each other, are we doing what we are teaching? Are we legit with this? And um, that's been really good for us uh, to to kind of challenge, hold ourselves accountable. We don't want to be sharing and teaching things that we ourselves are not doing. So, um, you know, we've, we've really wanted to be authentic in what we do. And that's been, that's been helpful for us. Yeah. I mean, you've committed to working, working it out. And in today's throwaway society, I think a lot of people um, can feel like if they hit, and boy, society even tells us this, if you hit a rough patch and you're tired of going over the bumps, just bail out. But boy, that's not God's way. And, and you really committed to seeing it through. So are there any practices or non-negotiables that you and Paul have established to keep your marriage healthy? I mean, looking at, you know, 
how authentic you are in your teaching. That's That would be one thing. But other things that maybe the average Joe who doesn't do marriage seminars could implement. <laughs> Paul and I are unusually, I think, honest with each other. And so honesty is really important. And we're, even though I don't love conflict generally, we are not afraid of conflict with each other. And there, uh, we've learned from, from research or some uh, amazing research that's been done by a Jewish couple, uh, the Gottmans. And, uh, you know, anything that you can read uh, that they've put out is, is really, really worthwhile. But they talk about the differences in personalities. 70% of the things that we talk about with our spouse we don't agree on. We don't see the same. We don't feel the same. We have a different perspective on. And and so what we know is you have to become really excellent at conflict management to have a good marriage. And um, that I, I think we have worked hard to, to manage conflicts and to talk about them. And and what what we know is it seems that Research says you have a very superficial relationship if you do not know how to do conflict in your relationship. You won't go deep. And so being willing to go deep, to plunge, look at the differences, it really breeds security and commitment. I'm going to be here when it's not easy to talk to you. I'm going to be here and work through this together. Uh, and and so that has created um, just a lot of security and and commitment and intimacy in 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 our relationship. But a lot of couples are really really afraid of conflict and don't know how to do that well with each other. And I would really encourage couples to to you know do some reading, get some help with that because that's a that's very very important in married relationships. It seems like conflict can spiral out of control when people are easily offended. Yes. And, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's natural for us to want to guard ourselves against pain when we're bearing our soul to somebody. But um, if both, if both, both people in the conflict are, are honestly seeking for the better of the other person, which is not always the case. Yes. Mm -hmm. But if both, you know, people are coming together to, to seek the better for the other person, then we just can't be easily offended. You know, we have to lay our offense down and boy, the Lord tells us not to be easily offended as well. Yes. I think laying the offense down and is, is very important. And uh, a key thing that, that we teach, do and and that's really hard for couples is to validate your spouse's uh, perspective. Mm. We think you should think like I do. I don't know why you feel that way. I don't feel that way. And so the ability to be able to validate helps to to not take offense, to really understand, seeking to understand, putting yourself in your spouse's shoes. Uh, letting them know you're trying to understand from their personality, from their history, from their life experiences, what it is that they are feeling. And that creates a lot of empathy and and the ability to, to say, you know, I genuinely can understand why that would hurt you given uh, your personality or, or what you've experienced in your life. And that's a game changer. 
for, for couples if they can do that. It's something I teach to every single couple that I work with. So. Yeah. Boy, it's so important. Mm-hmm. And it is hard to learn because you want your opinion to come through. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. So there's yeah. a whole, whole process of learning to to communicate and listen well. Yeah. So you mentioned working together and you even own a business together. I mean, having a business for anybody can be a rough road. Um, What prompted you to start your own counseling center and how have you seen God's hand at work along the way? Well, you know who I'm married to, an entrepreneur. And so, you know, let's start something new. Uh, That was Paul's idea. We were 40 and thought, I guess it's now or never. And um, Paul had, you know, really been encouraged to do that by the people who knew him, by the mentors uh, that he had. And, you know, I was supportive of that as well. Um, And I think the trip to Ohio that I mentioned really helped to get me ready for that. Uh, And and yet it was uh, difficult, you know, three months after we opened uh, Eden. The insurance money had not come through. We had to pay the people that worked for us. We could not pay ourselves. That was a very, you know, the first of many difficult times when you own your own company. And um, Paul had always been kind of the golden boy in whatever he had done. And so this was really off-putting for for him. Wait a minute, God, you led us into this. I thought this was going to, in our naivete, this was going to be a smooth path. We're doing your will. We're doing what you called us to do. And he began to question, did we hear you correctly? I mean, we can't function, obviously, without income. And it was, it was so interesting how God used, you know, that particular time and era I really remained very strong from from the word that God had given me to that I was dependent on him. And I said, did did God call us to something else already? And he said, no, I don't think so. I said, then we stay the course. This is what God is calling us to do, uh, even through the difficulty. And so there were many, many times, many things over the 20, uh, was it 25 years, 28 years? trying to think 20, I think 28 years that we ran um, Eden and had to be very dependent on, on God and, and what he was calling us to do. And, you know, we sold our practice in January of this year, and it was very humbling to look back over the 28 years and see what God had done. We had at least 150 thousand patients that came through and they came through with a spouse or kids, probably 300,000 people that never ever dreamed of anything like that. And we thought, what if we had stopped that first year when, when, it, you know, it was just overwhelming and other years that were as well. And just so clearly see God's, God's leading and, and his, his calling for what he was wanting to do. Yeah, I uh, I love um, that you shared with me and in, in in the past that you didn't even really seek the partners that came. No. You you said God, you send us who you want, mm-hmm. and that happened, didn't it? Yeah, as as Paul was um, preparing to 
to start Eden, he was in church and just uh, pulled out an index card. He carried index cards and, and wrote down what he thought God was saying. And he said, I will send people, but we were not to um, seek to hire people and that we were to partner with those that we loved. Mm. And so people that were like-minded, that we cared for. And so Paul told me, I said, that can't be. You can't start a business without like, you know, trying to hire people. And he said, I, I think God's saying, no, we, he's going to send people. So we, we didn't, we sent people. And, and if we ever just later thought we need more child psychologists, we have so many children and we put out maybe something to say, is there anyone, nothing, nothing ever came from that, but God would send people. So yeah, it was really a walk of faith uh, in doing it God's way. Yeah. I mean, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But when we follow his ways, well, for one, it brings glory to God, but it takes a lot of stress off of us if we can really lean into his way. (laughs) If we can really lean into it. That's exactly right. Yep. Realizing he was, he was the CEO of our organization. Uh, I mean, there are many pivotal times when he was saying, I'm way ahead of you. Um, Let me lead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another thing so many parents deal with is balancing work and home life. I mean, you're a mother of three. What did you do? How did you handle the pressure and what ways did you see the faithfulness of God in your choices of, of parenting? When I began counseling, um, after I had had children, I, I didn't have family living nearby. So I didn't have a lot of support. So I had to really carefully think through how, how am I going to do this? And I didn't, didn't want to do too many hours, but even with the few hours I was doing, I remember the first few months that I was counseling, someone said, well, I'm going to need to be seen, uh, after school at this time. Um, because that's what works best for me. And I remember just clutching and thinking, oh, is that what I have to do? I can't, I can't do it that time. I have my kids at home and they have all their activities. And I went home that night and really felt like as I was praying that um, God was saying, you have to decide what your priority is and whatever you don't do is, you know, could suffer. And I thought, wow, um, I do not want my family to suffer. And so I will be begin making decisions in my career for what's best for my family. And, you know, that was my, what was right for me at that time. And so I worked around, you know, kids hours and still continued to, to be able to see people, but it was very much focused on, on our family. And, and um, I, you know, I had to make that decision and, and prioritize. And I really believe, you know, those choices made a difference in who my sons are today. But God also gave me a wonderful, you know, opportunity to counsel many people for many, many years. And that increased as the kids got older and and especially as they left the nest. So I was felt like I was able to kind of do it all, but I had to prioritize family. Um, yeah. I mean, Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything, time for every purpose under heaven, a time. It does this, it doesn't say this, but there's a time to be mom yes. and there's a time to work. Yes. There's a time, you know, and, and I've, I've, in some of my prior interviews, um, 
I've talked to, you know, women who said, you know, I, I put my career on hold. I left my career to take, to, to raise my children. One woman that I talked to, she's, um, uh, works at NASA, actually. She was a, a, you know, worked on the space shuttle program and, um, she left NASA to raise her family. And so when her kids went to college, she fully expected to, um, just kind of work at a grocery store or do something like that just to help, you know, put the kids through school. She thought I, I gave it up. But when she started looking for work, a friend of hers said, send me a resume. And she got an offer to go back to work for NASA at one of the premier, premier projects, you know, that they were doing at the time. And I, you know, God just said, you did what I asked you to do. I'm going to bless you for it. Yeah. So, so we, we don't, you know, when we lay down our lives for something the Lord tells us to lay it down for, God always has better for us. Yeah. And he uses all those things he's planted in us, gifts and training and pulls them together at different points in our lives. So, yeah, I was at home for 12 years as well. So, yeah. So it's, you know, I think there's a <laughs> messages in the world that say, you can have it all, all the time, right at once, or, you know, you've got to be true to just yourself and don't worry about anybody else, mm -hmm. even those who are supposedly relying on you. Mm -hmm. But God says, if you do it my way, mm -hmm. uh, I'll take care yes. of it. I'll take care of you. You're going to find fulfillment and purpose and happiness and everything that you want, actually more than you want. I found in my life when I am obedient to the Lord's choice, he knows me better than I know myself. What I thought was going to make me fulfilled would have destroyed me. Yes. But when I obey what the Lord has, I find joy that I never knew I would have. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's beautiful. I started the episode sharing Proverbs 4, 23, which tells us to guard our heart. In your career as a counselor, I'm sure you've seen the effects of people who've not guarded their heart well. Um, just share a few healthy and biblical ways that we can all guard our, guard our hearts. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think of this often the, the, I think you said in the beginning, our mind, um, our feelings, our will are all uh, a part of, of that uh, scripture that you were looking at. And, you know, so often our, our, our mind is so powerful. What we think and feel directs the course of our, our actions. And um, so having right thinking and, and much of what we I deal with in myself and, and with other people, I have thoughts that either lead me toward um, anxiety or depression or, you know, offense, as we were talking about earlier. And so uh, I think we guard our hearts by really examining our, our thoughts and what are they. And how do I um, renew those thoughts? How do I shift and change those thoughts so that they are moving me toward um, wholeness? And, and, and so I think our mind, that's, that's a big thing. You know, what my dad said, staying focused on what are the priorities, on, on God, on your calling, on, and, and again, reexamining, am I doing my mission? Am I doing what I'm called to do? And that kind of keeps you aligned. And then, you know, boundaries, that's a huge issue. 
that we all, that I always uh, talk about and I'm thinking about. And that's a way of guarding your heart. You know, what am I exposing myself to? What am I being involved in? Even you know, social media, it's so present in our lives right now. It's, but it's, it's devastating to so many people. Um, Facebook depression is a thing. You know, you get on that and life sure looks better for all these wonderful pictures that people are putting up. And part of guarding your mind is saying, that's not real. That's not everyday life. That's, I just talked to that person and they're having a terrible day. And then they've post posted something that looks wonderful. And so I think we have to speak the truth to ourselves. Uh, and that, that's part of guarding our, our minds and hearts as well. Becky, you've walked with the Lord for many years now. Uh, what's been key in keeping your relationship with the Lord vibrant? Well, I think he's helped keep it vibrant by what he's led us into. I needed him. I, I really needed him for uh, just so many things that we were diving into and, and so I think, um, you know, I, I was at a place of, of longing for and needing peace and direction and um, all of those things that some of the things that only he can give. And I think I've always had a desire to grow. And again, that authenticity as I help others, if I'm not doing it, I can't really, you know, counsel others to do it. And so um, that's, that's been important to me, uh, to, am, am I seeking the Lord and doing what I'm encouraging other people to do? So that was a real accountability for me. I also love, love music, which ministers to me so much. I, I know that that's been, uh, just a very powerful thing in, in kind of my relationship with the Lord. And there's some wonderful apps that are out the uh, abide app and different apps that have meditations on scripture. And, and that's, um, that's just been kind of a different way for me to hear and kind of soak in, in scripture, which has really been powerful for me in my life as, as well. Again, I think it helps me renew my mind and get my thinking, uh, in, in the right path. I know growing up, uh, when I was a young person and a young believer, I got saved young as well. Um, there were a lot of scripture songs that we used to sing all together. You know, I mean, they, they were, they were yes, three chord scripture yes. songs that we, you know, <laughs> but I still remember them. I mean, I'll find myself in the kitchen and some of those songs or my husband and I will be reading the Bible together in the Psalms and we'll read one. And I, you know, I'm like, have to stop and sing the song to him. And that's love. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, uh, it does. It just is, it reminds us of the truth. And um, I've found for myself when I start thinking ways that are going down a path that is not true, you know, we can make up scenarios that will never happen. Um, mm-hmm. I have to stop and say, I take that thought captive to the obedience yes. of Christ Jesus. And, and sometimes I even find, you know, if I, if, if that doesn't stop it, if that my mind keeps going there, I have to start saying something out loud or singing a song or because that will captivate your mind. It captivates my mind. You know, when we start, cause your all your whole focus is on what's coming out of your mouth. Oh, that's powerful. Very, very good. Well, Becky, as we close, 
Would you share about a woman in the Bible who's inspired, encouraged, or taught you something? You know, women of great courage and great faith have inspired me. I think of just a few of many examples, women like Esther and Ruth and Mary, um, Christ's mother. They were not without fear, I'm sure, in what they were called to do, but they had great courage. And courage is really defined as the strength of mind to carry on in spite of difficulty or in spite of danger. And that was because of their faith in God. And, um, you know, I have shared, I've needed that in, in terms of opening our own private practice. There were huge learning curves. There were, you know, managing people, working with insurance networks. And I, um, you had to be courageous in, in difficulty. And so seeing how Esther uh, went, she saved a whole nation, really, uh, by her courage and, and just a, a, young, a young woman. And Ruth, uh, trusting God and, and the way he provided for her and their mother-in-law and, and, of course, Mary. I mean, just a young, young girl who pondered and held things in her heart and was trying to kind of put all this together, what, what courage they had. So really just beautiful examples for me of being courageous and, and having, having great faith. Becky, you mentioned um, Philippians 4, verse 8 <clears throat> earlier. Uh, I'm just going to read it. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And in keeping with that, we'll just leave you with a few thoughts, things to fix your thoughts on. John 3.16, of course, says God loves you. Think about that. John 1.12 reveals that if you've put your faith in Christ, you are a child of the King of Kings. 1 Corinthians 15.57 says you're victorious. Are you facing a battle today? Think on the truth. God is your victor and you are his child. Isaiah 41.20 promises that God is with you. And I Jeremiah 29.11, which has been a life verse of mine, assures you that God has good plans for you. So dig into God's word and you're going to find so many more wonderful things to think about. Becky, would you take a moment and pray for our listeners? Well, Father, thank you so much for uh, your love, your care. And we know that you know everyone that's listening uh, so well. You know their unique situations. And uh, we, Lord, pray that you will use what we have talked about today to minister, whether it's people who are starting something new and uh, need the encouragement and courage to walk out your plan, whether it's marriages, Father, that uh, where there are uh, differences in personalities uh, and, and learning to um, hone those differences and use them for, for good and uh, we just pray for right thinking, uh, those things that that take us down paths that uh, are not good for our soul and mind and heart. I just pray that you will use what we've spoken, Father, for good 
for other people and for their growth and for their learning Mm -hmm. and for their wholeness. Thank you so much for uh, Jody and for her work in uh, ministering uh, through this podcast and and just pray that your will will be done with each each podcast that she does. Thank you so much, Father, in your name. Amen. You know, friends, there are orphans as well as widows all over the world who need to experience the tangible expression of God's love right now. Many have special needs that we as a company of women can meet together. Would you consider joining us with a special gift to help? Just go to hergodstory.org and click on the Widow and Orphan tab at the top of the page. Thank you for tuning in. In our show notes at hergodstory.org, you can find scriptures and other information we talked about. You can also get a six-week devotional on women of the Bible that you can download for free or purchase a 12-week devotional that we'll send to you for just $12, knowing that all the proceeds go to the Widow and Orphan Fund. We'd also love to pray with you on our 24-7 prayer and text line. So give us a call or text anytime at 855-459-CARE or email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. And now, dear friends, I bless you from Philippians 4, verses 7 and 8. May the peace of God guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. And may your mind be filled with things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.